Welcome to Dear 16-Year-Old Me. My name is Chanel T. Molina. Well, a few things. Just stick a fork in it, Chanel T. Molina Consulting, Storybook Scrunchies. In the words of Daniel Hillard in Mrs. Doubtfire, I cook, I bake, I sew. I also read, I write, whatever. I've journaled since I was nine. And here you'll find those entries of drama, enough hyperbole to make your head explode, and mainly reflections of a kid who had no idea how to navigate life. She thought she knew, but she had no idea, and still kind of doesn't. Come with me on this journey of basically self-diagnosis. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. This first season is dedicated to my brother from another mother, LD. We lost him last October. LD, your reactions to my narrations of text messages are the reason I decided to really even do this. You really knew how to gas me up and make me feel like anything was possible. This is for you. I love you forever. Hello. So, I want to talk about my dad. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't even really know where to begin. He was born in Okinawa. He came here with his parents. His dad was... Um, a marine and met my grandma out there in Japan and they came out here first to Camp Pendleton California uh, down south they lived in Carlsbad they lived in Los Angeles there is actually fun not so fun fact there is a stoplight that was put in after my dad and grandmother got hit by a car when he was a little kid so he grew up down south, moved up here with one of his best friend's family. All I know is that my parents met and they were both playing music at the time. I feel like it might have been through a band. Anyway, they met, they got married in the 80s. They had my sister, Jashan, and then me, and then my little brother, Akira, and then they got divorced. Ugh, I think I was like six. So whenever first grade, I'm not going to say that there was no lasting effects. There always are. But the foundation, along with the generational trauma cycles that continued, were pretty solid. I know my dad, I know my dad loved us. And I know that we weren't the reason for the divorce. Now as an adult, I know much more of why that kind of stuff happens and... I get it. At the time, I was a pissed off little kid. Like, you're literally changing every part of my world. You put me in a new school. You are having, like, these big life changes where I have no choice. Or no, none of us really have a choice of what's going on. Um, everything that we had known at that point was now going to be different. But the what I'm saying is, like, the solid stuff. The solid stuff I knew that my dad loved us. I knew that was not the reason, but I'm, I resisted like heavily. And I was a very like, I don't know, quiet kid. Some people might argue that, <laughs> but I was pretty obedient. I was pretty submissive. And this whole situation 
pretty much made me shut down. I was just talking about this the other day. Somebody asked me where I found my confidence and I was like, my dad basically made me feel like the sun rose and set on me. And not even like in a weird, oh, you're so beautiful, oh, but no. He was like, dude, you're really smart. <laughs> you're really good at this. And like, you have an ear for this. Like I played music with him and we listened to a lot of different music together. And he was like, yeah, you have it. Whatever that is, he always told me you have big ears. In the music world, having big ears pretty much means like you're a perceptive listener or like somebody who hears things in a different way than a normal listener would hear them. You can pick things out. You hear things that people normally don't hear. You have like good timing. And he always said that I had that. He was a drummer also. He played um, congas and bongos and drum kit, like all the percussion instruments you could possibly uh, pick up. He played all of those. And my mom was the singer. He was the musician for the most part. When I was older, I mean, I'm saying 12 or whatever, when I started playing the drums, he was my teacher. And it was always like a really easy lesson. He never got frustrated, which is so interesting because he did get like frustrated about a lot of like random things. And I see that in myself too. I'll be patient as hell about certain things and then certain things I'm like oh can you just get it done over like I don't understand why this is taking so long and that's totally how my dad was too real I mean obviously I knew that he had a huge influence music wise personality wise just like how in general how I treat people anyway I have I have a tattoo on my left arm and it says they shared the weight of memory and it's from a book called the things they carried they shared the weight of memory they took up what others could no longer bear. Often they carried each other, the wounded or the weak. And I really felt that because as much as I know how much my dad meant to me and meant to my life, I'm reminded constantly that others share that weight with me. Literally anytime I talk to any of his best friends, my uncles, my aunts, anybody that knew him, something always comes up and they're always like, I miss your dad. And we forget that our parents lived whole lives before we were born and they lived whole lives with us. Being as funny and, you know, happy and just like a joy <laughs> to be around, like just super funny all the time. Unless I was getting in trouble, which happened for sure and he made sure that that stuff didn't have whatever I was doing wrong it needed to be corrected and it was and he never he never like held my mistakes against me and I think that's something that I really appreciated like he let me just kind of flourish in whatever I wanted to do and he did it for all of his kids. If you were inter interested in something, he was throwing whatever energy he had towards that. So I was like, I want to play the drums. Like my parents were not rich. They were not, you know, they didn't have extra money. As an adult, I can, I know that I have, <laughs> I genuinely have no idea where he found the money to buy a drum kit. As much as he was a light, he was also somebody that lived with regret and that was a lesson hard learned. And I didn't, I think it was probably closer to the end of his life that 
he ex- expressed those things besides the one time when he was getting when they were going through their divorce I just like caught him on it like I came home one day and he was in their room crying like and this is one of those things where I'm realizing now as an adult that you can't be putting that kind of stuff on kids like yeah kids need to know that adults like their parents are real people and they go through emotions and whatever but there's an emotional boundary that has to happen because kids don't process that stuff the same as adults do obviously it's something like involuntary emotional boundaries or something like that anyway um but it's probably those little things over the years have probably affected me more in my life than I'm even realizing because even as I talk to you about it right now something happened there like seeing my dad crying saying that he messed up and saying that he ruined everything and then continued to make the same choices after probably coping mechanisms whatever whatever you know like I can't speculate that I have no idea the reasons he made the choices that he made all I'm saying is I know that he lived with regret and the um knowing that he did that and knowing that his life was short he died when he was 44 six days before his 45th birthday and um it has always put into perspective really like how short life is and the whole don't sweat the small things but also that the small things will turn into big things and they really do mean something big it's never just you know I'm nagging you about this situation because of whatever. It's never that one thing. It's always something underlying that is a core issue that needs to be dealt with. In my life so far, I've tried my best to like make choices based on what I won't regret in the long run. Like what will I be able to take on while still being able to sleep at night? And that's kind of like how I make most of my decisions in life because I don't want to end up in a situation where I regret something so heavily that I allow it to navigate the rest of my life. So I don't know if I'm being counterintuitive <laughs> by living my life that way, like, but I think in the end it served me well because even though I made mistakes, like I definitely made mistakes, um, I knew that I was making them with the intention of being able to sleep at night and being okay with the decisions that I made myself. So the last episode I told you, you know, I just like to do things, think about it myself, make the decision, because I also don't want to have to like think about other people's input. Not that I don't value it, because I definitely reach out often, but in the end, it's me that it's going to affect And that's what I have to be able to live with. I think losing a parent always puts things into perspective. And for me, it's been it's been the biggest eye opener to priorities. Some people, it goes a different way. This is just what I ended up doing. That's not to say that my shifts haven't taken too long. I'm sure people by some people's standards, they've taken way too long. And (laughs) And there's always going to be 
there's always going to be a reason, but there's never going to be an excuse. And I make my choices and I stick to them and I hope I don't regret them. Sorry. I am dog sitting and this dog has a doorbell. <laughs> Hold on. I, I have no idea why I chose these journals to start with. I think the whole thing mainly was because I was 16. But my dad died right smack dab in the middle of high school during the summer between my freshman and my sophomore year. You know, just like the normal teen angst, whatever, like bad attitude. And that was, I'm sure, super annoying already, but like amplified by the fact that I had lost my grandma, my dad's mom, a year prior, and then lost my dad within five months between finding out that he was sick and then he was gone. So the entry that I'm going to read to you was basically me finding out that his diagnosis was confirmed. I think now knowing, like you know, that he was gone in that short amount of time, you'll realize like, <laughs> like what perspective that I was looking at it as a child. All right, here we go. <laughs> February 11th, 2002, 11.51 uh, p.m. The mood depressed extremely. Remember that I prayed that he would be okay? I guess I didn't pray hard enough. He's hurting a lot. He has liver cancer and I'm so sad and I have to cover it up for everyone. This is serious, and I need to ask Auntie Katie about this tomorrow. My dad has cancer. Jesus Christ, this is painful. I'm hurting so bad, and I almost can't stand it. I finished the perks of being a wallflower in Daly City today. I spent the weekend there because I really missed my dad, and I wish I could drive so badly you have no idea. Anyway, it was a very good book, and I'll add it to the favorites list. Sorry, I'm still in shock about my dad. I can't think of anything right now. I almost cried four times, and I did once. And it's devastating to think that all these relatives only lived for five to six years after being diagnosed. And that's not long enough for me. I won't be satisfied. Good night, I guess. Love, Chanel. I could literally go on and on and on all day and tell you like the most random stories like when my dad <laughs> sat in the fountain at downtown Disney with my little brother just because it was hot or the time that he, <laughs> he handed Jessica the keys to his car so we could just go to 7-Eleven to buy candy <laughs> and I have no idea why he trusted <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He, there's so many stories here that are wrapped up in us that I could literally write a book on all of the things that happened 
the things that my dad did, like I said, like lived a whole life before us and would tell us Boy Scout stories from when he was a little kid. So like it's wild to me. And I think that's probably part of just who I am too. I can tell you stories from my childhood with vivid detail what people were wearing, what people said, where we were, what things felt like. And my dad did the same thing and he would tell us Boy Scout stories every night. And they weren't, (laughs) oh God, my sister is gonna be like, why are you telling people this? (laughs) They weren't great stories. He was not a nice kid, (laughs) but um, he was in his late thirties when he was telling these stories. He could remember every single, there was, and there was like an unlimited amount of them. That's the crazy part. It's like, he never told the same story twice. He put us to bed for however freaking many years. That is stuff that kind of like bums me out because my little brother was three, I think, maybe younger. So he doesn't remember my parents together at all. And honestly, I don't remember my parents together together really. From what I can remember, it was bumpy. But the things that I will always say that my parents did right, because, you know, I'll tell you what they did wrong all day. But the things that they did right, the main thing that I think I have always held on to and I tell basically anybody that I know that is thinking of divorce or going through divorce or whatever, The thing that my parents did right is that they put us first and they knew that even when my dad, even when when they were divorced, he would still come over and like cook us dinner or he would still, you know, he wasn't living with us anymore, but he was still there to like help us with homework or pick us up from the library and bring us home and then watch Jeopardy with us and then go home to wherever he lived. And I think that that's something that I really give kudos to my mom because I know how petty and pissed off she was. And she really could have taken out a lot of how she felt about him on his time with us. And she didn't. (laughs) And that's wild. The The amount of strength it takes to allow that to happen, it's a lot. And I'm saying where at one point my dad moved back in with us for a little bit to make sure that we were okay. There was like family stuff going on and she let him move back in. And I just found that one, I was obviously over the moon. Like, I'm not saying it was like old times, but the fact that I had my dad at my disposal more so than I normally would. I mean, I called him at work all the time, called him at his house all the time, like, couldn't get rid of me but just having him closer and knowing that he was going to come home was really something that I was grateful for especially because I didn't feel safe in my own home so story for another day but it was really imperative that he was there and really impactful that he was there and made sure that we were safe and made sure my mom was safe too. Like, I come from a really long line of just these hard-ass women and, like, women who really went through it and came out the other end stronger and they're the ones who showed me how to be resilient, like, as resilient as I possibly could be and 
the the examples are out there and it's whether you choose to see them and make them your example that's your choice but they're there you just have to look for them uh thanks for listening to that one um the next episode is going to be essentially me telling you about how i came up with this idea and it doesn't go all the way back to high school but it goes back about 10 years so we'll talk about that next time thanks for listening love you bye Thanks for listening to Dear 16-Year-Old Me with your host, Chanel T. Molina. You can find me at chaneltmolina.com. That is C-H-A-N-E-L-L-E, T is in Tom, M-O-L-I-N-A.com. Or on Instagram, Chanel T. Molina. Or you can shoot me an email at hello at chaneltmolina.com. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you.